everyone, and thanks for joining us at the 2023 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Nick Holmes, and I'm an uh, LGO student at MIT Sloan. Uh, it is my pleasure to int introduce our panel, Partnerships 2.0, Data, Dollars, and Digitalization. Our panelists will be Paul Kane, President, Endeavors, IMG Events, and On Location. John Sheeran, Director of FanDuel. Elizabeth Lindsay, President, Brands, and Properties, Wasserman. Jeff Price, uh, Chief Commercial Officer, PGA of America. Our, our panel will be moderated by Abe Madcor, Publisher and Executive Editor, Sports Business Journal, Sports Bus Business Daily Global. Our panel, the panel will run for 45 minutes and we will leave 10 minutes at the end for questions. Please submit your questions on Twitter using the hashtag PartnershipsV2. Questions will then be selected by the moderator. With that, we'll turn the time over to Abe. Give it up for Nick. How about that? How's everyone doing this afternoon? I know we're going up against lunch, but we appreciate you spending your lunch with us. We've got a great panel. I would encourage you to ask your questions early and often because I will get to them. You heard the bios and the introduction, so we're going to get right to it. We have a very, like I said, august group of panelists who have been in sports a long time and who have seen different aspects of the sports business. So I'm going to do a jump ball because this is the session title. I'm going to use sponsorship more than partnership right now, but how have you seen the sponsorship relationships change in your years in the business as we sit in 2023? Liz Lindsay, I'm going to start with you. <sighs> Me first. Yes. Huh? So first of all, I think you just called us all old. <laughs> no, I said... <laughs> August. August, and been in the business a long time. We have. We are old. Um, yeah, we are old. It's fine. I lived. Um, so, look, I, I think I'll say what is the pat answer first, and then I'll get into a slightly more complicated one. The pat answer is I do actually believe we have finally broken th free from the era of Execuim. My chairman is a F1 fan. We sponsor F1. There's still a little bit of that that's going on but it might be the only thing I ever attribute positively to procurement officers inside corporate brands is there now is a little bit more rigor behind, okay, well, yeah, okay, fine, you're a fan, I still gotta make that work. So we've gotten from an evolution away from two-dimensional uh, and execuim chairman's choice kind of decisions into the thoughtful, robustly measurable, effective, three-dimensional kind of partnerships that are in and of themselves 360 campaigns, not just a collection of tactics. That arc has happened. What percentage, though, are still executive whims? A lot less than it used to be. Seriously, when I started this industry 25 years ago, <laughs> it was probably 75, 25. And I would say now it's less than 25. Right. Like, it doesn't happen anymore at the, at the big brand level because it can't. There's got to be more rigor behind the science of the effectiveness of it all. My longtime friend, Mr. Price, what have you seen? So, Abe, you know I started 30-something years ago, uh, and I started at the NBA. And just to put context, we didn't communicate via email. With our partners, there was no such thing really work in the work environment. Think about all of the digital suite, social tools, analytics tools that exist for brands to understand. And I think about the portfolio of brands that we work with our partners from Rolex to Corbridge to Cadillac, different categories, different brands, different objectives, but the measurability of what can be done, the engagement from a B2B perspective, a B2C perspective is so much further along than when we started mm -hmm. in this industry where CEOs made decisions and 
uh, it's now become a much more rigorous process and you've got to make sure the ROI is there for each partner based on what their KPIs are. Other perspective, I, other changes. Ours is very different, right? The sports betting industry is so immature compared yeah. to the other businesses represented here. I think we're in a slightly different position. Um, the biggest changes are very obvious when you look at the league's position on sports betting. Five years ago, if you told me that we would have an integration on TNT when LeBron James is chasing down the point scorer record uh, and they interrupt his free throws to talk about um, live betting on FanDuel, I think that's in itself a perfect example of how far it's come in such a, such a sport, short space of time. Um, where that goes, who knows? You know, we, we're interested in obviously everything we can do to promote our business. We want it to be additive in a responsible way as well. So a lot done in a short space of time, but you know, nowhere near the evolution that the guys have spoke about it yet. I'll just add you know, two, two things to everything that you all said, which I think is exactly spot on, is there's an enormous, there, there's been a shift from uh, sponsorships as it relates to the company sponsoring to the consumer on the other side of it. So there's a, a tremendous amount of analytics that goes to understanding the value of that sponsorship and partnership through analytics, number one. And number two is there's an expectation of return from both the sponsor and the consumer. It, can't, it has to be organic, it has to be smart, and it has to be connected. So the sponsor wants to know the consumer's gonna take an action, and the consumer wants to know the sponsor is authentically involved. Years ago, when I got involved, 94 or so, it was about signage, uh, branding, probably some media. Yep. Let's talk about some of the assets that are new and interesting to you in terms of what are part of partnerships now. I'll so I'm also fortunate to oversee our foundation, PJ Reach. I think one of the most interesting things that I've seen are the brands that are focused on corporate social responsibility and making sure that the partnerships that they're engaged with are making a difference in people's lives. So whether it's what we do with PJ Junior League and our partnership with National and making sure that every kid who wants to play the game of golf through PJ Junior League has the opportunity to do that in National Car Rental engaging all of their business customers who have a passion for golf to realize that they're giving back. And so I look at it through the lens of what, what are we doing to make an impact on lives and how can the companies that we're working with benefit and help us to achieve those objectives. And that's a pretty significant shift over the last 10 years from my perspective. For the brands, the ROI is different than traditional. Correct. It's it, it really is about the impact that's being created. What, what is being done to better the lives of the individuals who want access to our game for National Car Rental, it's been an amazing platform to watch them help us to grow that and serve thousands of kids who otherwise wouldn't pick up a club. Other assets you see? Well, if I really honestly, what's interesting is the year I graduated from college, which I'm, is the moment I decided becoming a marketer was probably a bad decision, but the, the, the number one marketing innovation that year was the do not call list, the year I graduated from college. And it struck me that the career that I had picked was literally the number one innovation and it was something designed to avoid it, to avoid marketing. And that's what I think is so interesting about how, how sports sponsorships come back into play is because it's the last bastion of what does not, no consumer wants to avoid them. They welcome the brand partnerships in them. We don't fast forward it. We don't speed by it without not reading. We don't care, if, like we don't ignore the brands. We invite them in. So as a result, you know, it's the last bastion of these little mini contained 360 campaigns. It's not just a sign. It is signage and media and CSR and youth programs. And it's the same, if you look at parallel timelines, it's the same time the leagues began 
started talking about the 12 month calendar yeah. and we're yeah. going to add all these events. I think the NFL was probably the first to progress there because when you have something in a sea of do not call lists that say, don't talk to me, don't market to me. When you have a place and a time when the consumers invite you to do so, you're going to grab a hold of that. So all of those little elements that are in there are because of that. I think everything that's come out of the sponsorship, what I will, the evolution over the last 20 years, this, what I'm the most interested in, though, are not any asset that any property has come up with. They're all there. There's all these new innovations. The ones that are really interesting to me are the brands that are taking it on their own and making their own bespoke platforms out of it. Give me an example. One of my favorite recently, I don't know if any of my NBA friends are in the room, but one of my favorite recently was uh, American Express, the NBA and Fanatics came together and they did American Express as a boring benefit on their card membership, which is really cool because I use it all the time, of insurance. You trip and fall and break your phone, they pay you your phone back if you bought it on the American Express cards, insurance. They came up with the idea, they created their own platform to do jersey assurance. If you buy an NBA player jersey on your American Express card and the player transfers, right. they'll buy you a new jersey. It's just some interesting, little, amazing thing. The creative for it is awesome. Didn't exist. It's not like that was in a prepackaged deck. We invented it, took it to the NBA, had to bring Fanatics in, and it's one of the best things we've ever done. There's a lot more of that sophistication in our world now. I like that. Created, new, different, right? So I was on a call with some brands recently, and their biggest frustration was, with all due respect to the properties on this panel, was that the properties still come with the same set of assets at, the, at, the, at just a higher price point and not a lot of different creativity and not a lot of new things that they can bring to the marketplace. Yeah. Thoughts? Well, they, there's, there's no shortage of opportunities to slap your logo on something at this point. There are so many stadiums that are available for sponsorship. There are too many patches to count there are. that are available. Yep. It's, it's a, that, that is not the game or the business, nor frankly valuable to anybody unto itself. You have to go deeper. So what you're talking about is what I love about it. It's the 360, but I'm gonna twist it a little bit and say it's about going as deep, as 360 around and as deep as you can possibly go. So the depth of it is the inventiveness where it gets really exciting. What you described for the American Express NBA relationship, it's perfect. Great example, goes right to the ground on it. And that's ultimately what we all have to think about as it relates to this area of the business is how deep and how far can you go with the consumer? Well, to understand it, you have to understand what the consumer wants. And it's really getting to the real detail of what the consumer buying pattern is, what they want to attend, because if you offend them or don't become organically connected to them through understanding that consumer, ultimately you're, gonna, you're not going to uh, be successful. So the reason why Liz's example is so <clears throat> perfect is because they understood the consumer psyche of that hesitation. Do I buy the jersey? Are they gonna get you know, traded? Was that gonna matter? That, to eliminate that concern, to understand and respect them, not only are they gonna make the decision to purchase, which is good for fanatics and others, not you, sorry, <laughs> um, is, uh, is, but also uh, it, it's good for the, uh, the card relationship because the other car, the competitive 
purchase opportunities, whatever they are, are don't offer that, that's, a, that's part of the consumer choice. It's a fantastic example. I think we saw with Gronkowski's kick in the third quarter of the Super Bowl, that's a really good example of how we're thinking about trying to bring it to that deeper level that everybody's spoken about already. Yeah. You know, gone are the days of us needing to splash FanDuel as a brand to make people aware of who we are and what we do. Um, getting $17 million in free bets given away, even though he did miss it. I did he miss you, it? It was so hard to tell. I know. I knew you were going to ask it, me It that. really was so... How <laughs> many... Raise your hand if you thought he made the kick. No. Okay. That's he hard def, to say. He definitely missed it. We have a video from behind him. He, he went 8 for 8 the previous day, actually, so... Uh, we all saw a lot of value in the minus 500 on him to kick it successfully, but didn't account for all the wind. But I think it's a really good example of how we're thinking about trying to be innovative, trying to be different. And we've had that feedback some, from a lot of our competitors. Oh my God, what an amazing idea. And again, to go back to my previous point, to think that that could happen in the middle of a Super Bowl broadcast four years after yeah. we've legalized is insane. Yep. Yeah. It is. Uh, we would never have thought no. that would be the case. I do like the idea of new, different, creating a touch point with the customer. I love what, for instance, like Allies doing around women's sports in particular and really, really connecting at that level. We do have a question from the audience. I want to get to it. A lot of talk this morning. I thought it was a great question of Amy Howe. Uh, uh, what data can she not, th th does she not have yet? she really wishes she had. The question here is, what are two data sources that you can't live without? <laughs> so anything about data that you want to share, or data you don't have that you wish somebody in the audience would be able to provide for you? The, the data I don't live, live without are the brains that are in every one of those people sitting mm -hmm. right there who know what to do with that data. I'm a big believer in the concept, and it's a line I stole from Mark Cuban, but I'm a big believer in drowning in data, starving for insights. I don't quite frankly give a shit what the data says. What I care about is if you know what to do with it. What's the so what of it all? That's right. How do you make it impact my business? And you know, I, I used to talk to John Slusher about this all the time about some research we did for Nike and his answer to me every time was, Does it, do I sell more shoes? That's yeah. it, what is that one asset? So drowning in data, data sources from everywhere. What I can't live without is the ability to interpret that, simplify it, put it on a page, articulate the to what end uh, in a concise manner that helps sell more shoes. Yeah, I, I, I think that, first of all, we all use data to understand what we've done. We often use data to figure out what we want to get others to do or to sell, but there's also the element of what people are going to want in the future the predictive data, mm -hmm. very hard to get. Yeah. And uh, the, there's that old adage is people don't know what they want to buy until you show it to them. <laughs> and uh, you know, and data, so data to itself can't be relied upon to be predictive because the data originator won't necessarily indicate it completely. So you need um, a little bit of the art and science balance to understand and interpret the data to be able to build it into a predictive model. It's not easy. I, I don't see a lot of predictive models that are perfect. Uh, you know, so that's where it becomes really important to have that gut feel, to be that excellent marketer, to know how to use data to your best advantage. But I would love to get to the point where you More can get as predictive as possible. Yeah. Abe, I'll go, you know, we're, we're in the process right now, and I think Fahad uh, Zahid, who runs marketing and digital for me, there's 41 million people that picked up a golf club last year, either on a green grass, 12 and a half, 15 million off course, which is amazing now, more than on, and then a bunch in the middle that did both. Our database right now is about two and a half million of that. So our goal is to get, how do I know all 41 million of those people who love golf, the other 15 who say they want to play, 
and what mindset are they bringing so that when we go back to one of your clients, mm -hmm. we are very able to engage a conversation with the brands that we work with that is meaningful, relevant, and engaging versus kind of coming over the top of the consumer. So for us, it's about the data and insights on those golfers and what can we do with it to drive engagement for the golfer and our partners. And that kind of gets to this next question. How are you using the data to either drive new programs, create new programs, new activations, new elements? So if you saw trends of golfers wanting shorter play times, maybe you could do 12-hole golf or something to that component. The 10-hole right? short course that we built at PJ Frisco was exactly because of that insight. People want two-hour experiences, not necessarily four-and-a-half-hour experiences. Other things that you all have seen. I was just going to say, that's why I want to play golf. Uh, Jeff, you're going to get me to play golf again. Yes. Um, the, here's the thing. Is I'm going to flip to my on-location business, which is an experience business. Is that, um, it's, it's a, it had been an under-differentiated business of a ticket plus hospitality, and now we've turned it into an experience model where we, get, we make people's dreams come true. That understanding of what is the dream, understanding what people really want from an experience, what they want from their live sports experience, that using data and analytics to drive that decision helps us not only deliver better product, but increase our margins for our, our partners. To, to, if you aren't familiar with something on location, for instance, the Super Bowl, you had so many programs going, people were paying you know, some premiums for premium experiences. They could get concerts, they could get cooking demonstrations, you know, very, very nice high-end player appearances all throughout the week before the game. And so you're using your data to see what they want to do and then yeah. instruct the and, programs? And even during the game, we're doing it all across the board. So our experiences for the Super Bowl start even uh, way before the Super Bowl. It starts from the moment someone decides they're gonna go. That moment, we call that the purchase moment, all the way to the day they come home from the Super Bowl, the memory moment, has, is our product. So it's that purchase to memory product. Now, when they're on site, we understand what is it that they want to do and how, what makes them excited. For some people, it's hiking in the mountains. It's yoga with an athlete. It's a shopping experience. It's immersive, in, in this case, Scottsdale. But when they get to the game itself, it's understanding the parts of the part of what they want from the fan experience. We had, for example, in partnership with the the NFL, we had 16 people who were part of the coming out of the tunnel experience as part of the broadcast with their teams in uniform. Very cool. Very cool, right? Very cool. We had people on the field after the game to be part of the Lombardi Trophy ceremony. Did they slip? There. Right. Did they slip? They did, yeah. Uh, um, so there's why? there's that's those are the kind of experiences that we create. Um, and we do that with all of our partners. Jeff is a phenomenal partner for us. The PGA is just an extraordinary partner who understands not only through the analytics that Jeff shared before, but the partnership that we bring to the party to really take not only the on-site experience at a PGA event, but to take it to the next level where they're getting in a completely once-in-a-lifetime experience. Because what we're seeing, uh, and I think you would, we'd all agree, we're seeing that fans will pay. There's a elasticity of pricing that they will pay more for these premium experiences, right? You're seeing we, that. We live event. in an experiential economy. Right. The consumer is looking for something that they're passionate about. They'll, they'll love a brand that will provide that for them. The on-location experience that we're building for Rome in the Ryder Cup is phenomenal. If you want to go to Rome and have an unbelievable experience packaged by on-location, there's anything and everything you could imagine you want to do in Rome that'll be available through on location. And that, that type of packaging is exactly what the consumer is dying for. And, and a lot of people get afraid of that because they think it's expensive. 
and and the and what I we compare it to like the Disney experience. You can have an on location or an immersive experience at any price point. So we and that's what we try to think about because to some people they'll save a lifetime to go to the Ryder Cup. To others, it's what they made that morning. And by the way, that price point could flip in your mind of what they made their morning could be the most expensive product, and they saved a lifetime for the, most, the least expensive product. We have to respect that completely. Another question here from the audience. Confused about not really wanting more data, but what KPIs are really of interest to all of you? It's a little different. I mean, KPIs are different than data, but I mean, they can be. I mean, so Liz, let's drill into this, or John drill into this, in terms of you obviously want to see people sign up for your service and become, so you're looking at it as a retention tool. For sure, I, I think I would go an back acquisition to acquisition tool. Acquisition, obviously click through and making sure that they make that first experience and deposit, place a wager and have that really immersive experience. For us, it's much more simple. It's about how does the event become more entertaining? Because we think about our business now as an entertainment uh, product. So same game parlay, for example, in the NBA, every bounce of every ball means something to that product. So to be able to get all the way through to that's super important to us. Just to go back on the data question, because I think for the audience, particularly around analytics and data collection, Amy said in her answer earlier, which was correct, like we feel like we've got robust, robust data sets, particularly from the collection point of view, as we think about generating odds and markets and lines that we offer our customers. I would say that process right now is actually pretty archaic. If someone told you in 2023 that you have a scout sitting in the arena typing into an iPad who has possession of the ball, right. in 10 years' time, we look back at that and go, man, how did we run that business at all? So I think for the audience to think about areas of opportunity, that for me is one myth that we badly have in our industry that would make a huge difference. Think about a latency. Anytime I talk to the league, I say to them, what is, they'll say to me, what is the most important data that you can get from us? What's the biggest issue you have? One, two, and three are latency and accuracy, fourth. So for me, that's a good, you know, for the audience specifically, yeah. a good area for them to start to think about rather than we all have tons of quants applying for every single job that ever goes on their website. That might be an area for some people to think about differently. And Liz, for your clients, you, I know you're looking at different things for different yeah. clients, but is there? Yeah, look, to be clear, what I said earlier, not that I don't care about the data, is that the data itself is not the KPI. Think about what KPI is, key performance, I don't even know what it is, Indicators. performance indicator? Yeah. 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 Um, that's gonna be different for every brand. The data is comes, that funnel is wide. Like somebody said, or I think it was you, we got so many different uh, like options coming at us now. That's not, that's the, that's the it. The art of what you do with it is what makes it actionable and readable as a performance indicator. And quite frankly, everybody's is different. When you come at me with awareness numbers for a startup brand that matters, for American Express, it doesn't. It's the eighth most recognized brand mark on the planet. They don't need that. Let me interrupt. When when the property comes to you with mm -hmm. awareness numbers, right? I'm just clear. Yeah. So it's that it's the it's not that it's not like a good indicator. Sure, great. I'm glad there's good ratings, but that's not the point for that brand. We have a brand. I always like to talk about my grassy brand as much as I talk about American Express. But we have a brand, literally Scott's Miracle Grow, grassy. And if you look at their business model, what's really interesting is. That period of time when planting happens is during spring, spring training and baseball, right? They are a baseball partner. Their entire year can be made if we get one more week of end cap shelf space at a big box retailer during that window. That's it. 
So you want to talk to me about ratings, you want to talk to me about awareness, you want to talk to me about all these other data sources, great. In the John Slusher, do I sell more shoes analogy, That's I need that week. Right. And so what creative can I make around their asset with baseball to get that week? And That's the performance, everything else is just data. Great point, and I think as properties, what's evolved is understanding, we, we've got a tremendous, our team does a great job of renewals. I think we have a 95% renewal rate on our partners. We have Pepsi for 30 years, and mm -hmm. customers, club car, that's been with us for 25. You have to understand those KPIs that mm -hmm. matter on a very granular basis. We were going through a renewal with Cadillac. There were 20 odd various KPIs that we had to measure up against yeah. to make sure that this property made sense for them. And so it's the KPIs that matter to me are what KPIs matter to, to our partners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they provided the KPIs. They tell us, and we have conversations. It's not about what we're trying to bring to them. It's how do we develop together something that's going to move the needle against their KPIs. And if mm -hmm. it's shelf space, Great. During a right, that's let's fantastic. Go. Let's right. focus against it. Yeah. And, and to Jeff's point, it may not just be selling Cadillacs. There are other points where they need either displays or some other. Or their dealer network. Their how dealer. does their dealer network get incented to move more product? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That becomes a key part of the B2B side of golf. Real quick follow-up then. For Jeff Price specifically, do ratings matter to the PGA of America? Of course they do. Ratings matter first to our broadcast partners, CBS, ESPN, NBC. So that's critically important. That's the lifeblood of kind of the underpinning of our association. Remember, we represent 28,000 PGA professionals in the field. We're fortunate to have these great assets that are the engine that fuels the mission that we have to grow the game of golf. So yes, ratings matter. They matter to our partners, but there are a lot of other metrics right. that matter as well. Right. We, we think about full swing, which is doing incredibly well right now. The exponential growth of audience that we're getting out of a property like Full Swing hopefully is going to help us drive ratings just like it did for F1. So, yes, do ratings matter? Absolutely. Give Jeff Price a focus group of how many people here have watched Full Swing. Raise your hand. If you haven't, you check it out. Breakpoint, Full Swing, Drive to Survive, they're, they're fun. They're fun. Uh, a question here for the entire panel. How do you see the advances of AI and machine learning, such as chat GPT, playing into partnerships of the future? Uh, you got to be, first of all, I think AI is always going to play. The whole notion about AI right now is so hot, but it's been around for a little bit now um, uh, in, in the sense that it's just all about under, uh, faster learning, faster processing, and ease, ease of creation. I do worry a little about the chat GBT moment here because you're actually pulling from existing source, which isn't always accurate, and if we rely too heavy on it, it's sometimes you come back with wrong information. And I think that's the important part about data too, is that we gotta be really discerning of what we're seeing and what we're digesting. Is it real? Is it true? Is it honest? And then uh, before you make your decisions or move. Any other thoughts on AI or chat? I, I would just say from our side, you know, personalization of our apps is something that we've, as an industry, done really badly at. The app looks the same to everybody. Uh, certainly an area where we think that that could potentially move a future where you know it recognizes who you are, what you're doing, what you're interacting with and automatically promotes it to you. If I would just say chat GPT is really fascinating, but if you haven't read the New York Times interview with chat GPT, it's worth, it was really frightening as to what the end result of that conversation was. To Paul, to your point, there's amazing opportunity, but there's also risk, and as we dive into it, we've got to look at both sides of that equation right. and make sure that we're understanding the veracity of what is the output. I think we're, your, your we're point the, is- We're at the early part, though. I mean, yeah. look at like right. 94, when we, right. the internet came out. I right. remember 
uh, launching a website in 94, and I was the only person who had a modem in my house, in my company at the time, my brand at the time, and the then publisher came to me and said, uh, you know, what was the experience like? I was like, well, it'll take me 45 minutes to download the homepage. And the answer they gave me was, oh, that'll never work. And it, the reality is, like, you look at for the future, we don't understand it yet. And we have to embrace it. We have to excite about it. What we know it to be 10 years from now will not be what it is today. But, we, you know, it's all, it's, it's, you have to keep riding with it. A couple years ago, we did a session, and I asked uh, brands what they wanted from properties. Much of it was focused on access and content. Has it changed, or are there other elements? And maybe talk a little bit about both of those. Content's pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. And so Liz, maybe jump into that, what type of content you'd be looking for from a property for a brand. So access and content's still very important. Obviously, it's about the experiences. You need the access to do it. But what I think content, where content's really interesting to me, is the push-pull effect that it gives. It's a, I need content, I need to pull your content into my brand world, which if you're a property, you should appreciate because then that extends your 20, you know, your 12 month calendar and opportunities to do more with your brands, which invariably you guys will figure out how to charge more for. So that is the, the interesting thing. But then what's, what, what we're starting to see now is brands wanting to bring their content in. in. So not just pulling it out, pushing it in. The kick in the middle is the same yeah. thing, right? It's an example of that. So to me, it all comes down to the, the, the true fundamental truth in all of it is this is people's passion. Yeah. And when it's your passion, you want to share what you think of it in and pull what you have back out. And it blurs the line that exists currently at the front of the TV or the phone screen. And so there's a lot of that going on right now. Yeah, We have the, pat we have the privilege of working in an industry to do things that people want to do in their personal time. Like we're not selling B2B products, we're selling, we're, we're selling consumer passion brands. Everything we do is what people want. So for that reason, uh, there has to be a level of, de of um, excitement, fun, fresh energy to get, people, to get people into it, to get people to engage with our brands, to, be, to buy more of our products, to, be, to walk out with a better experience, all of that. Really I also matters. want to add, I do think, from a pandemic perspective, the one thing I've always said is that it, you know, necessity is one hell of a mother of invention. We all got real creative <laughs> when people couldn't get in the stadiums. Um, what I love about the content and the way is that it's, it's broadening the pool of people who can experience that passion. Yeah. Like it's inclusive, it's baseline level inclusivity. And I love that. There are people who are, you know, Sacramento fans in India, they want to be able to feel like they're sitting courtside. They're never going to get on a plane and fly all the way over here. How do we pull content into their lives or put them in the action? And you saw a lot of that during pandemic because we had no in person audiences. So sports had to f go get everybody. And we have a tendency now that the in-person audiences are back to forget about the everybody, but it's really baseline level inclusivity, fan growth, audience growth, brands love it. You, yeah. know, you get a higher level of return and impressions. It, it all works. We, we saw that with one of our sister companies is the UFC. And we were one of the first sports to be back live during the pandemic during that time. And then we do the immersive experiences with the UFC. We saw an uptick of demand of the kind of experiences people wanted because they became newly passionate about the UFC because that's what they were watching when they were in their homes. And it, that brand I've got enough of cornhole and... Cornhole. I, I, I learned a I lot about Belarusian soccer during that period. <laughs> yeah. That for sure. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, content is full swing. 
Yeah. Full swing is a great example. I'll give you another one. Aon is a terrific worldwide Ryder Cup partner. And when they came to us and wanted to extend what they were doing with the PGA Tour and the LPGA through the Ryder Cup, they had a risk-reward platform that was running on both tours. They wanted something unique in the Ryder Cup. One of the most unique attributes of the Ryder Cup, Jack Nicholas giving the concession to Tony Jacklin 50 years ago. It is about the sportsmanship of the, what the Ryder Cup represents. So we created the Nicholas Jacklin Award that Aon partners with us on. So there's, a, going back in history, all of the archives of sportsmanship from the Ryder Cup, teamwork from the Ryder Cup, performance, all of the key messages that Aon wanted to kind of explain to consumers what their brand was about, they're now using Ryder Cup content to tell that series. And then at, during the Ryder Cup itself, have that award, which did not exist, now being presented by Aon to the athlete who represents those metrics and brings it to life, what Tony and Jack did 50 years ago. So. It's from a content perspective, it's taking into all of our archives everything that we've had historically, and then the of-the-moment opportunity to be a relevant part on that Sunday green at the end of the Ryder Cup, having that be a part of the ceremony has been something that really differentiated, and the, the results that they saw from a consumer engagement standpoint, they launched their, relaunched their brand at the last Ryder Cup around this award. Every metric that they were looking for was met, but it was built off content and storytelling. And they can use that for, for, so, for such a long tail. Correct. Um, this question here, building off Abe's question to the other three, I think they, they mean you three, what are you, what's one thing that hasn't been mentioned that you want from a property? So obviously you three. What, what, when you go to a property, what is it that you still aren't getting that you would like? My answer would be a little bit the same. Like we, we just really want the leagues in this case to lean into what it is we're doing. We've partnered with the PGA Tour recently around a responsible gaming initiative and used Jordan Spieth, who's one of our athletes, to kind of promote that. Um, I think the pro leagues, the NFL, NBA, MLB, have all been great partners of ours and we have great relationships. I think there's more we can do to lean in together, particularly to remove some of the stigma around gambling, try and focus on the entertainment value, build that together and have a really good end case entertainment um, property, which is exactly what you spoke about earlier, where people just enjoy that experience. It's their own time. It's pretty valuable, right? Yeah. Friday evening, 8 o'clock at home, I'm supposed to be putting my kids to bed. I'm watching some NBA game that I've got a bet on. That's pretty important use of my time. My wife might not agree that it's good, but that's what I decide to spend it on regardless. So I would want more lean-in from the leagues to understand that our industry can be entertainment, that we're building a really responsible industry together and, and contribute towards that. I'll tell you, John, in the Super Bowl last year and this year, we saw more of our guests um, uh, using FanDuel in the stadium than before. In fact, in the rows in front of me at the game, I was watching people in, you know, doing it in real time. And that's because the connectivity in the stadiums have gotten so much better yep. and the engagement's been and The first better. time we had it in a legalized state as well. Right, yeah. right. Anything in particular? I, you know, I would want, and there are some that do it. It's not that it doesn't happen. There are some that are really good at it. I, my friends from the USTA here are here, and they're phenomenal at it. I want the properties to realize that the brands bring more than a check, that they, yeah. that they can be extensive, effective ex, like extensions of your marketing, ambassadors for your brand, ways to increase your audiences. So stop saying no to everything. Um, USDA is phenomenal with American Express. American Express wants to provide service. The USDA wants to provide a phenomenal customer experience for their spectators on site. We do the experience every year at the US Open. I'm sure many of you have gone. It's a win, 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 win to be very cliche, but that doesn't happen if the properties don't realize 
like, well, I just need a check from Amex. No, you need their expertise on how to host people because they're really damn good at it. It's a really good example because we have that exact issue with the NBA where we believe that we've changed how people consume live betting in the NBA. Um, people who have placed the same game parlay, who were invested in the entirety of the game, historically would have switched off in a blowout situation. They're now 40% more likely to stay engaged through the end of the fourth quarter, and that's the exact conversation we're having with MLB. How do we do the same with the new rule changes? How do we get better at keeping people engaged for longer within their two, three hour uh, spend of their own time? I will say that I've seen a big shift. We work, uh, the on-location side of our business has 151 different rights partners. So we work with all the major leagues and associations basically around the world. And with that, um, we have seen a shift where people are starting to look at the complete package of what they, what they offer for consumers. There used to be a line drawn from, the, from whatever the stage is, the field, the court, the, the pitch, whatever it is, versus the stands. And there was an, a separation, a church and state between them. Now they're seeing that as the full experience. The athletes understand that, the fans understand that, the leagues and conferences and associations understand that. And everybody is trying to make it work for everybody so that it becomes a much more engaged and connected product. Um, the welcoming into products like FanDuel into the environment and making it part of the environment as opposed to just a logo on the screen. Those are the, those are the great examples where I, I see incredible inventiveness. I, I, uh, I really don't think we have a rights partner who doesn't spend time thinking more innovation now. Jeff, is a, what we're doing at the Ryder Cup is a perfect yeah. example of that. Things we would never have done 10 years ago that all of a sudden we're starting to bring to the market. Yeah, and to, to your point, every property cannot begin the conversation with no. Yeah. We have to say, well, it may be this, but let's think about that. Yep. Yep. And those conversations have changed. It used to be we started with no, yep. and then maybe backed into something. Today, yeah, here's your a la carte list, pick three. Pick three. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's, what are your objectives? What are you trying to achieve? How do we mutually find a way that's good for us, good for our consumer, and hopefully yeah. powering the brand? And that's the evolution of the conversation. I also think the relationships with properties, the people still matter. You know, our relationship is really strong because you have an unbelievable point person who understands everything about golf, about what a PGA Championship or a Ryder Cup is, and comes to us with innovative solutions. So people still matter. The data, the analytics, critically important. They help us make better decisions, but the right people building the right relationships yeah. with the right knowledge still the fundamental aspect of this industry. I, I, I'm gonna, I actually believe that there's a lot of onus on the brands too. It's not just a property problem. Like, you know, I, the brands are like constantly at me about, I need them to say yes to this. I need them to give me this. I need them, why won't they just do this? But the flip of it is, I'm like, do you know what ex-partner struggling with? Did you know that they had their owners meetings last week? You know what their challenges are? Can you tell me the effectiveness of their ticket sales? Is their per cups going up or down? I'm like, well, why is that my problem? I'm like, well, you want your business to be their problem. Well, then their business needs to be yours. Mm -hmm. A partnership is not one way. Mm -hmm. And so that, that understanding and facilitating, and I like to think we do a decent job with our brands and getting them to understand that, is that there's, sometimes there's just a cost of doing business. Sometimes you have to lean in and say, as a good partner, I'm going to let you get this done because I know you'll be there for me when I need it. And that mentality is lacking in our industry. Just because you write a check doesn't mean you are God. It's, we need to have that spirit of partnership in it. A little better, though. It's getting well, Yeah. I mean, this question here is a quick, a good follow-up to that. Who takes the first step? The brand thinks about how to infuse into a property or the property invests in experiences that pulls in a brand. 
Oh, boy. Chicken and uh, an egg? Why, why, why does anyone have to go first? It should just be lead with innovation. It could come it, it, either side. It could come from the side. side. Yeah, yeah. but side. I think it's important that both sides of the table come to it with, a, with an open mind to drive the ultimate success. Invention's not going to come uniquely from one side. There's no rights holder who knows enough to, of what the brand ultimately wants. And there's no brand who ultimately knows what the limits of the rights holder can provide. It has to come from a mutual place. 100%. 100%. We're under 20 minutes, and I know after lunch, sometimes people can get a little sleepy. So we're going to go a little bit more quick hitter on our questions, some specifically targeted to certain panelists. I'm going to go with Paul Kane. Paul, we've come off of two challenged Olympics, I would say. Why are you excited about Paris in 24? And I know of the logistical challenges of an opening ceremony on the Seine River is going to be a big, big beast yeah. for anybody to... Uh, you know, I've been around um, all these kinds of businesses for a really long time. Jeff and I have been doing this together for 30 years, I yeah. think, right? And um, this is a, a, this game, this Paris game, is going to be the most complex but most exciting game of all time. First of all, the Paris games, I love the Paris uh, organizing committee because they're approaching the games by saying it's a game for all, meaning every sport is gender neutral. It's, there, there are a lot of symbolism around the, the games. It's going to be an exciting game. It's the first time we're all back in, in venue for a very long time. Uh, so it's going to be really exciting. However, we are about to embark on the most ambitious uh, experience I think ever contemplated in sports, which is the opening ceremony of the games. Typically, the opening ceremony is in a stadium, uh, in a closed venue. So you think about closed venue, limited seats, everyone can see it, and it's secure. We're going to a six kilometer run across the Seine, starting by Notre Dame and ending at, uh, at the Eiffel Tower. And it's gonna be 206 boats along the Seine that goes up along, that takes all the athletes in the countries up along a parade route that is not only open to the public for free, in addition to premium seating, and then it ends, and it's all, and it ends at the, uh, underneath the Eiffel, Eiffel Tower, all broadcast on television. Imagine the security that it's gonna to take to accomplish that, to keep everyone safe and secure, and also how to create the right kind of experience in venue, and then also at home. So the amount of work that's going into that is, is equal to the rest of the games itself. Why I'm excited about it? Because we are going to create, we are creating what will ultimately be the landmark of most immersive game experience of all time. LA28 is going to take it even to another level. The LA28 innovation plan is extraordinary. You haven't heard any about it yet. Um, frankly, we probably don't know a third of it, but the end of the day is we're seeing the evolution of the Olympic games to be more than just game in sport, game in venue, to be a completely uh, immersive uh, Well, that's, that's, that's the plan. That's the goal. That is the goal. That is the goal. And so we'll see if they can we will execute. Do it. It, I, 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 like the, I like the energy and the <laughs> attitude. I'm with you. I'm rooting for it. But for everyone in the audience, you keep your eye on that because it's going to be one unbelievable execution. Uh, this question is so good that I don't want to ignore them. First, for anybody on the panel, how do you evaluate social media items such as branded content and sponsorship and partnerships? How do you evaluate or value it's part of a full-scale cross-channel media plan. So it's part of us. it. A hundred percent. I just uttered the phrase cross-channel and half the people on my team just had a heart attack because it's <laughs> a very complicated process. But yeah, no, absolutely. You look at in venue, on TV, on social, in full, in part. Is it so it's content? Not a pull -out. Is it organic? 
Absolutely not. It's okay. a full measurement of cross-channel. Good question here. Value and price, return and investment. If you had to prioritize one element in ROI, which would you choose, the return or the investment, and why? Property and brand perspective, please. So you would, you would probably value the investment. Maybe. Well, the investment is critically important, obviously, to fulfilling our mission. But if we're not delivering the return on investment, yeah. it's a very short-sighted conversation. Mm -hmm. So it has to be that we're looking through the lens of our partners and are they seeing the value that they're getting? So if we're not living up to the expectations of our partners, that revenue stream is gonna fall off a cliff. We're fortunate, even in this tough economic time, that we're seeing renewals, we're seeing engagement because we're paying attention to what matters to our partners. Yeah. Any thoughts on return or investment? Yeah, I think you need to, I think I focus on return because I, the better my return for a consumer or a partner or a sponsor, then, the, then the, the least amount of attention they put to the investment. Like I want, no matter what they spend, I want them to think they got more for their money, more for their value than they've ever, than ever before. If I focus more on the investment, it's about me. If I focus on the return, it's about them. Yeah. I would say investment for us, given the stage where we're at in yeah. terms of maturity, we're more focused on partnering with the PGA Tour, investing in them to build the properties out to give our customers a better experience, innovate and lead the marketplace and keep our market number one position ahead. And then obviously medium long term, you're going to change to the other side. For any of the panelists, how has the advent of influencer marketing and athlete empowerment impacted partnership strategy? I mean, obviously, influencer market, I could call Gronk an influencer. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, look, we, we built an amazing partnership with, um, with Pat McAfee over the last few well, years as well. He's been amazing. And, you know, uh, yeah, I think from our perspective, being able to invest in up-and-comers in that space has been important. I think, honestly, our entire industry is a little too scattergun, but that's inevitable. Um, when you have the success of people like Pat, our partnership with Gronk is another one that we're really interested in. Amy's been very clear with our view on uh, female sports as well. I think that's a space we're going to be more active in as well. So, yeah, a little bit wary of the scattergun effect, but generally pretty invested in um, influencers. Yeah. The concept of borrowed equity from celebrity endorsers is not a new thing. Nope. You know, the fact that it's now we're just redefining what is a celebrity endorser. It's just as easily a NIL student in college as it is an influencer, as it is an actual celebrity, a current player, a former player. We're just redefining the parameters of what the definition of that is. But the impact of that borrowed equity is clear. I think the only thing that's interesting right now, we're seeing a ton of it in the NIL space, is uh, just like anything else in marketing, if that's all you're focused on, it's a tactic in search of a strategy. You have to have a commitment. In terms of NIL? In terms of NIL. Yeah, yeah. If it, or any endorser, if you're like, well, I'm gonna hire an influencer to wear my hat. Okay, and? Like if that's the only tactic that you're employing, just like NIL, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hire a student. And, and quite frankly, on the NIL front, Again, redefine the parameters. I always joke we run a very successful college business and, and market on over 1,700 college campuses day in, day out. Every single day of the year we're there. And the one thing I notice is if you look at the list of who are the most influential people on that campus, just as often as you will see the star running back, you will see the soul cycle instructor at the student rec. So it's about finding what that really means and then putting it in context of a campus strategy. 
How am I 360 wrapping that strategy? How am I talking to these students? Who are the ambassadors that I'm gonna hire for my brand? How am I gonna show up day in and day out and show that I'm there? If I think writing a $10,000 check to a kid to tweet about me is gonna get my marketing plan done, you're relegating yourself to a tactic in search of a strategy. D. Smith had a couple interesting lines where he fears that the uh, impact of NIL may be that they opt out of group licensing. I guess I'll ask you, Liz, do you hmm. fear that the interest in NIL by brands would make them less apt to sponsor and partner with properties, teams, and leagues because they're going to be more focused on individuals? Not any more than we are already moving in a little bit of that direction. Like, there's so many ways you can get involved in sport now. You can do an athlete deal, a media deal, a betting deal, a league deal, a team deal, a whatever, whatever, whatever. So the, the, the diversification of channels is not a new phenomenon, and brands will go, especially with the advent of you know, the prob problem around exclusivity in sports. If I can't get at it one way, I'll go at it another way. Um, you know, look, personally, my sandbox in the industry, and I'm gonna, that's going to cause some follow-up questions, is that I think category exclusivity should die. I think that's a ridiculous element in today's day and age. Yeah, yeah. Um, but putting that aside, most sophisticated brands realize that if you're going to partner with someone from a, bar a borrowed equity perspective, there is great stability in partnering with a team or a league. Yeah, yeah. There is great volatility in partnering with a human, especially if it's one human at a time. Your fortunes rise and fall yeah. on the back of a 17-year-old kid and what decisions he makes on the weekend? No, thank you. Good point. Uh, John, do you think you'll see any of the retrenchment that we've seen uh, in the UK around gambling sponsorship in the US over time? And for those, John's from Ireland, he knows the space well. I mean, you've seen gambling companies, you've seen properties refuse gambling money because of concerns in the UK. Yeah, I mentioned it earlier. I think being responsible about how we build our business, and frankly, that's something that was a bit of a misstep in Europe historically. Gambling Commission there have gotten incredibly aggressive and made some really bad decisions in our view to be to basically fix the mess that we've left behind. And we've been very clear since we launched in 2018 in the US, we don't want to make those mistakes again. Uh, you allude to the fact there in the Premier League, sponsorships of, of gambling companies on shirts are now, uh, are now gone once the existing deals are, are, are all out. And yeah, I think we're being very careful about the spaces that we enter. We're, probably not going to see the FanDuel brand a whole lot on college campuses. Amy's been very clear about that, and I right. think that's a step too far for us, where you've got on-campus kids that are not 21 years old. Mm -hmm. I think the tools, Peter spoke about it with Contessa on CNBC this week, and we spend 60 to $70 million a year, pounds a year, um, investing in responsible gaming tools, and we're very, very much at the forefront of building that responsible uh, industry so as we don't have to follow the same steps that have taken in the UK. So a lot of focus on responsibility. Okay, less than 10 minutes, so we'll be a little quick here. A couple of questions from the audience about how to get involved in the sports business. So these are more advice questions. Jeff Price, I'll start with you. Advice for a young person who is at Sloan or in college looking to get in the sports business would be? Don't sit down and say, I'm a sports fan. I'd love to be in the industry. Please, God, no. Please bring to us what it is that you're going to bring to add value to our company, to our brand, to our mission, and have a really developed plan and be ready to ask great questions. You and I talked about this on the I-Factor discussion. I always look at the individual that I engage with and I leave the, the conversation open at the end. 
I want to know what questions you want to ask me because I'm going to really understand how well you've thought through where you want to go by the questions that you ask. I do that too. I don't even ask. I just like, what do you want to know from me? Yeah. Only question I ask. And if they have nothing, then it's, you it's, too, you've just told me everything you I need get, to that's know. That's exactly right. It's not a good, it's not a good sign. Mm -hmm. Other advice points for you, Liz, for young I people. I wish there was a fast path. There is not. Yeah. Show up, work hard, do more, be there, be smart, be curious, be relentless, be tireless. No one knows you anything. You, you get the opportunity to be there, take advantage of it, and work hard. John. Uh, I'd come at it a little bit differently. I think I agree with them being core fundamentals of everybody we all want to hire, but from my perspective, particularly given my background in odds making, enthusiasm for me is the most important thing and being a huge sports fan actually really is important. Uh, it doesn't have to be a requirement, but it certainly helps. I'd rather have somebody come to me with less ability and all the enthusiasm in the world and rather the other way around. I, I can do more with that person, particularly if they're young and entering the workforce. Paul. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to add a different, because I agree with everything they just said, but I'm going to tell you, you can do it because you just seize the opportunity. Like we're hiring, we're hiring like hundreds and hundreds, almost thousands of people for events all the time. We had 500 temporary employees at the Super Bowl, for example. And we, these people come in either after undergrad or, at, or in their MBA programs and work for us for a period of time. Um, and, and they use that as a way to meet all these great people in the yep. industry, all make these connections, and by being present, by being curious, by being uh, aggressive in that front, they find their way into jobs. The woman who runs the NCAA relationship for us started as a volunteer during an NCAA tournament, and now she's the number one person as the relationship uh, expert for us, as a good example, and we have many of those examples around our company. Question for the panel, I'll start with Paul and work our way down. Outside of a sport that you're affiliated in, i.e. golf, what's a hot sport in 2023 and four? <laughs> You've asked this question before, and I love it because it changes every year. Every this year. one is pickleball. Pickleball. And um, I, everybody is all about pickleball, but it's not even just about the sport of pickleball. It's that we have not even scratched the surface of exploration of what pickleball is going to be in terms of an ex, uh, a spectator sport. Raise your hand if you're actively playing pickleball. Well, this, for, okay, okay. John, any sport you're particularly paying attention to? Um, if the Ukrainian-Russian war hadn't happened, I, I, I think we would have done about a billion dollars in handle on uh, ping pong in, in Moscow, um, which is pretty amazing. So I'll never write anything off ever again. Um, I, I probably have to go with pickleball. We're about to do a deal with uh, the PPA. Um, we will have betting markets in the next two months on it. Um, it got, it's got a lot of similarities to ping pong, obviously, in tennis. Yes. Yeah, um, I probably will have to pitch for that one, too. Liz, your pickle? Paul stole my answer. Oh, he did? Yeah. Price? NWSL. It's I'm amazed at the growth and the evolution from where they were. Jessica's done an amazing job. I think that the leadership, the value of franchises, 100%. it's women's sports is real and it's a meaningful place in, in our sports ecosystem. And what's happened with NWSL to me is one of the great stories of the last year and hopefully this year as well. Liz, will more brands come to you and say specifically, we want women's sports in our portfolio? Uh, you know what's even better than that? The best brands come to me and say, I want a complete and total sports, sports portfolio and they don't even distinguish between men's and women's. 
they are now starting to realize that my That's sports That's fine as long as they invest in women's sports, though, 100%. right? 100%. And the evolution is happening that people are, people used to do it for the longest time, and it was fine. Check the box. Fine. We'll take your money when you check the box. That's all good. It's getting the visibility we need. It is now decidedly moved into the era of um, you can do good and do good business at the same time. I see, you, you see the power of like WNBA, what Jessica's doing with yep. NWSL, Molly, and the LPGA. There's a lot of amazing opportunities to invest in your business by investing in women. I see Susie Willie sitting right there who was part of us beginning the partnership with KPMG and having a women's championship in addition right. to a men's championship. Nine years ago when we started that, we had to bring our partners over to that event. I will tell you today, two of our broad partners, if we had not had KPMG in our Women's PGA Championship, we would not have had a deal. 100%. So it's a complete flip over the course of nine years. Name a person, company, or organization that the audience should be watching in sports business in 2023-24. Jeff Price, start with you. Or no, Liz, I'll start with you. I started on you're the gonna, There's so many. I love all my children equally. <laughs> it don't have to be a client. It could be someone totally different. Uh, you know what? I'm paying a lot of attention to Apple. I think okay. what Apple's doing with the MLS television deal is yep. interesting. I think the way that they're treating the Apple being involved in the NFL and the Super Bowl, quite frankly, I'll be honest, shocked the hell out of me when I read that. Um, so all of a sudden, when Apple wakes up and starts realizing sports, which historically they've done a little bit of this too, is where they want to play, all of a sudden I'm interested in Apple. Good stuff. Yeah, I'll double down on that as well. We're going to do a lot with them. They've opened their doors to integrations. They've done some with MLB already with probabilities, and we see the expansion with MLS that was mentioned, the NFL, and I see us being a big part of that uh, proposition as well. I, I agree with Apple, but I'm going to add similar, another one, which is watch what happened uh, at Amazon the last three years. Marie Donahue and that team Amazing. have done an extraordinary job a creating a business and an industry process. I mean, I've, I've seen so many players try to do what Amazon and Marie have done, and no one succeeded quite like her. And I think Apple has taken notice of that and is actually following, which is mm -hmm. amazing. Um, it's a good example. I'm going to throw another one in. I'd watch Jeremy Gorman in Netflix. Everywhere that woman goes. I agree there, happens. too. Watch and Jeremy. I agree with that. And, and, also, and they all play different places in the, in the ecosystem, but that, yeah. yeah. I'm going to go for maybe a more niche one, but it's one of our partners in PepsiCo with Gatorade and their partnership with the NFL to launch a product, Fast Twitch, together. Mm. The fact that they have created a product mm -hmm. that has gone to market, launched at the Super Bowl, and will hopefully serve a broad sp spectrum of athletes all across the world is a really fascinating evolution of how brands, when I was on the Gatorade you team, work there, right? you know, we were worried about sidelines and trainers right. and the efficacy of the product. To go all the way to having the property help you co-develop a product is really interesting. So I'm fascinating to watch, see how that unfolds. You all see the clock, so you know your answers have to be short. Does Tom Brady stay retired? <laughs> you know yeah. that's a close to my heart one. I know, that's why I asked you. Yeah, Tom is, uh, I think, I'm finally going to hang it up and uh, go on and do a lot of new things. Anybody have an opinion uh, on that? Yeah, please. Really. Yeah. I say he comes back <laughs> and plays again. Does, okay, I know, some, I know someone who yeah. won't answer this question, but is Live Golf competing in 2024? No. No. Okay, very good. Finish this question for me, please. And we'll end with this. The sports industry needs to do a better job of, and John, I'll start with you. Uh, stumped. Um, Honestly, just engaging and leaning into betting, it isn't the stigma people think it is. It can be additive. We're trying to do it in a responsible way, and I think it'll get better. 
Paul Kane, sports industry needs to do a better job of? Continue doing something they haven't done the year before. Mm -hmm. So innovate. Absolutely. Liz. Broadcasting women's sports, valuing women fans, and paying women athletes equally. And Jeff Price, you get the last word on the sports industry needs to do a better job of? Recruiting diverse talent to be a part of our workforce. Well, listen, I think that you all know why we have such a, why we had such a great panel, because we have great panelists. So I know you have a chance to come speak to them after this session. I want to thank Nick and all the students for putting on such a great program. Special shout out to my friend Jessica Gelman and Daryl Morey for putting together such a great event over these years. And so everybody have a great afternoon. Enjoy Boston. Thank you all. <laughs>